podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Wednesday. It is the 26th of July, and it is absolutely pissing down outside. So what a lovely summer we're getting. But luckily, we have some lovely nostalgia to keep us all warm. So it is the 05-06 Premier League season, and we're going to jump in with no messing about. So going down at the end of last season, which was obviously 04-05, We had Crystal Palace, Norwich, and Southampton. Palace and Norwich had come up and gone straight back down. Southampton were relegated after a 27-year stay in the top flight. Southampton, for the early years of the Premier League, were a team that flirted with relegation a few times, but you never really thought they'd go down. 
because of the presence of Matt Letizier, who was just an outrageous footballer. And if you look at the numbers he put up, particularly through the first six years of the Premier League, he was just a different class. He turned down moves to bigger clubs because he wanted to stay with Southampton for different reasons. Number one, he liked the lifestyle. He liked how close he was to Guernsey and how easy it was for him to get back to Guernsey whenever he felt like it. He liked that they built the team around him. He liked that he didn't have to do much in the way of defensive work. He liked that the team played to his strengths and enabled him to look like a superstar. And in return, he performed like a superstar. So there can be no arguments that that was the right move. When he retired and they moved stadium, they lost the Dell and the the charm and the quirks of the Dell. It always felt like they were kind of threading water. And obviously in the 0405 season, they couldn't manage to stay afloat anymore. So then they went into the championship and obviously we've had them back in the Premier League since on multiple occasions, but they haven't been able to solidify themselves in the same way. Now, this past stay was basically a decade long, so that's obviously a very good achievement. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out for them because they really liked what they were doing recruitment-wise, going with that younger team, but their senior players let them down and their choices of managers obviously let them down as well. Um there's no world in which Nathan Jones should ever get a Premier League job again. Uh, but back to the 05-06 season. Coming into the division, we have Sunderland and West Ham United, both returning after a two-year absence. And we have Wigan Athletic into the top flight for the first time in club history. It also means we have a new stadium. So at the time... The stadium was known as the JJB Sports Stadium. It is now known as the DW Stadium. It is the home of both Wigan Athletic and I believe it was the home of Wigan Warriors for a time, the rugby league team. Um, it's it's a stadium in a box, is the truth of it. It's a, sta- it's a stadium in a box. It's not somewhere that has immense charm or history or anything like that. It's just a decent stadium. Springfield Park was their historic home and it had fallen into disrepair. And when Dave Whelan decided to buy the club and invest significant money into the club, um, he decided to buy to build a new stadium. Wigan Warriors still do play at the DW. That is my error. Um, So, yeah, Dave Whelan commissioned Alfred McAlpine to design him a stadium. He designed him a stadium. They have a stadium. There's nothing more to say about said stadium. Um, Manager-wise, let's go there next. Very few changes this season. So, we had no changes in the summer. And during the season, we only had three managers sacked. So Portsmouth sacked Alan Perrine in November. He'd been appointed the previous December. 
to replace Harry Redknapp, who left Portsmouth to join their rivals, Southampton. Uh, He was sacked November 24th and returning to the club, Harry Redknapp, as if nothing had happened. Graham Souness was sacked as Newcastle manager on the 2nd of February and Glenn Roder took over as caretaker. We'd previously seen him as manager of West Ham. And Sunderland sacked Mick McCarthy on the 6th of March and replaced him with Kevin Ball as the caretaker. So, managers and captains, Arsenal, Wenger and Henri, Patrick Vieira now gone, Arsenal, O'Leary and Melberg, sorry, Villa, Villa, O'Leary and Melberg, Birmingham, Bruce and Cunningham, Blackburn, Hughes and Nelson, Bolton, Allardyce and Nolan, Charlton, Kerbishley and Holland, Chelsea, Mourinho and Terry, Everton, David Moyes, David Weir, Fulham, Chris Coleman, Luis Boamorte, Liverpool, Rafa Benitez, Stephen Gerrard, Manchester City, Stuart Pearce, Sylvan Distan, Manchester United, Sir Alex Ferguson as manager, Roy Keane began the season as captain, but would leave United in the November, bringing to a close one of the most storied careers in the history of that club, the greatest captain the Premier League had seen, the greatest midfielder, in my view, that the Premier League has seen, one of the all-time great winners. And when he left, Gary Neville became captain. Uh, Middlesbrough had Steve McLaren and Garrett Southgate, Newcastle, Glenn Roder, Alan Shearer, Portsmouth, Harry Redknapp, Dejan Stefanovic, Sunderland, Kevin Ball, Gary Breen, Spurs, Martin Yole, Ledley King, West Brom, Brian Robson, Kevin Campbell, West Ham, Alan Pardew, Nigel Rio Coker, Wigan, Paul Jewell, and Arjun Dazu. Uh, in terms of kits, Arsenal with Nike and O2, Nike and O2, Aston Villa, Hummel and DWS Investments, Birmingham, Lonsdale and Flyby, Blackburn, Lonsdale and Lonsdale Front of Shirt, Bolton, Reebok and Reebok, Charlton, Joma, Old Sports and Lanera. I don't know. I don't know what they are. Um, Chelsea, Umbro and Samsung. So Chelsea, who had been sponsored by Fly Emirates, now moving to Samsung after Fly Emirates ended their deal with the club. There was two years left and they just cut ties with them, paid them off because they felt there was a bigger deal to be done elsewhere. Wouldn't be done for this season, but in future seasons it will be done. Uh, Everton, Umbro and Chang, Fulham, Puma and Pipex. Pipex was the United Kingdom's first commercial internet service provider. Liverpool, Reebok and Carlsberg. Manchester City, Reebok and Thomas Cook. Manchester United, Nike and Vodafone. Middlesbrough, Area and 888.com. Newcastle, Adidas and Northern Rock. Portsmouth, Jacko. So they've finally got a, an actual kit manufacturer this year. And OKI Printing Solutions. Sunderland, Lonsdale and Reg Vardy. Tottenham, Kappa and Thompson Holidays. West Brom, Deodora and T-Mobile. West Ham, Reebok, 
and JobServe. So they've moved away from Doc Martens by this point. And Wigan, JJB and JJB. Uh, JJB, obviously, the company owned by Dave Whelan. Um, so that's basically... I think he he bought a company, a smaller company, built it up, and he was the kind of the head of it. That's where he made all his money, and obviously that company went bust back what ten, twelve years ago. But um, but Dave Whelan had had made his money and and moved on. Um, yeah. So there we are with our kits. We've got a couple of changes. Samsung on the front of the Chelsea shirt is the most notable change. Uh, None of the other top clubs at the time had changed their shirt sponsor this season. But we were about to see some significant changes in the coming years. Um, Transfer-wise, Chelsea, having won the league, once again went and spent significant money, but didn't have as successful a window this time around. Now, they did get Michael Essien, $24 million. It turned out to be a bargain. He was incredible for them. Unfortunately, he had some bad knee, knee problems, which slowed him, and he doesn't get the recognition he deserved. I rarely see Michael Essien get brought up into conversations about the best midfielder of the Premier League era, but without question Michael Essien belongs in those conversations. They signed Sean Wright Phillips from Manchester City. He'd been so exciting since breaking through. Uh, all the top clubs were looking at him. Chelsea didn't really have a need for him, but threw in a massive bid that City couldn't turn down. Asir Del Horno was probably the best young left back in Spain at the time. And Chelsea spent significant money to bring him in, and it just didn't work out. They signed Lasana Diara, who would go on and have a good career, not so much at Chelsea, but Pompey played for Arsenal, played for Real Madrid. They signed Manish on loan. He'd previously worked at Mourinho at Porto. They signed Slobodan Rajkovic, um, 16-year-old centre-back, paid significant money to bring him in. He was expected to be this monstrous defender. Think of what Nemanja Vidic became. That was the expectation of this kid at kind of 16, 17. He didn't join for a year or two. He stayed stayed at his previous club on loan. But unfortunately for him, he's just won the long line of young players that signed for Chelsea in his teens, and it, it didn't work out. Um, Arsenal, they signed Alexander Kleb. They signed Theo Walcott, Emmanuel Adebayor, a very young Alex Song, Carlos Vela, Abu Diaby, who super talented but just could never stay fit. The notable outgoing is Patrick Vieira, and what's most notable about their incomings is there's no Vieira replacement among them. They, they decided that they were going to go with Sesk. And obviously, Sesk is a fantastic player, but at the time he was 18, he wasn't ready to step into the starting role in place of Vieira. 
Uh, another notable outgoing was David Bentley. Um, actually, there was two other notable outgoings. David Bentley is one. Coming through the Arsenal Academy, he was seen as their their backup. He was going to be a first-choice player for a long time. It, it just didn't work out. And Jermaine Pennant, who they had paid, I want to say, $2.5 million to sign from Notts County at 15. And at the age of 22, they sold him for five hundred grand. Now, he would resurrect his career and he would go on to do quite well elsewhere, but it just... It never worked from at Arsenal. Manchester United signed Nemanja Vidic and Patrice Everett. They were in the January transfer window because United were struggling defensively at the time. In the summer window, they'd signed Jisung Park. They signed a young Ben Foster and they signed Edwin van der Sar from Fulham, who obviously had been a top keeper for Ajax, had gone to Juve, was a very good keeper for Juve, but then they decided to bring in Buffon. He moved from Juve on to Fulham, did incredibly well there. And United, who had been desperately trying to replace Peter Schmeichel for six years now, five years, maybe six, whatever. He left in 99. So yeah, six years. Um, finally find a goalkeeper worthy of replacing Peter Schmeichel. The issue was he was 34, so you knew he only had a short run in him, but it was actually longer than it was longer than expected. Um, notable exit from the club, Phil Neville. So he had Nicky Butt left the previous year, now Phil Neville. That's two of the class of 92 who've now moved on. Neville went to Everton. He was one of their signings that summer. They also signed Simon Davies. Andy van der Maeda from Inter Milan, who'd been very highly regarded coming through at Ajax, went to Inter, didn't work out. Obviously developed um, some substance problems, and it's unfortunately it, it torpedoed his career and ended it very early. Uh, they signed Per Kraldrup. They signed Nuno Valente. Anderson Silva, not the UFC fighter, and they signed Mikel Arteta at 23 years of age from Real Sociedad. Um, he would obviously go on and have a very good Premier League career with them and later Arsenal. Liverpool signed Momo Sissoko. They signed Peter Crouch, Pepe Reina, Mark Gonzalez, Jan Gronkamp. And in the January, they signed Daniel Agger, who remains one of my favourite Liverpool players of all time. Bolton signed El Hadj Diouf and Jared Borghetti, who I don't remember at all. They also signed Matt Janssen from Blackburn. Now, you'll remember that I spoke about Blackburn having these three really talented young players, David Dunn, Damien Duff, and Matt Janssen. Janssen had the motorcycle accident while on holiday in, in Italy, put him in a coma, never recovered. Dunn ended up going to Black uh, to Birmingham for decent money, but never became the player he should have been. And Duff obviously went on to go to Chelsea and would end up at Newcastle and then Fulham. Um, Middlesbrough, they signed Yakubu from Portsmouth, Emmanuel Pogatetz, Fabio Rockenbach. He was a good player, actually. And 
Abel Xavier from Roma. Xavier had been at Everton, been at Liverpool, gone to Roma, now back in England with Middlesbrough. Uh, Manchester City signed Georgius Samaras, Darius Vassell, Matt Mills, and Albert Riera on loan. And Albert Riera would obviously end up playing for Liverpool at a later date. Um, Spurs signed Jermaine Genus, 22 years of age, had done pretty well at the tune, having joined from Forest. Wasn't quite as developed as people hoped, but this was seen as the big move for him. This was where he was going to go and really establish himself as one of England's best midfielders, and unfortunately, it just didn't work. Uh, they also signed Hossein Galli, Danny Murphy, young Wayne Routledge, a very young Aaron Lennon, a very young Tom H- uh, Huddlestone, Gregor's Raziak, I don't remember at all. And they signed Edgar Davids on a free transfer. Aston Villa signed Milan Barros, Wilfred Boomer, Aaron Hughes, Kevin Phillips. And then in the mid-season, they brought in James Milner on loan from Newcastle. Never really understood why Newcastle loaned Milner out at that point. But they did, so, you know. Uh, Charlton signed Darren Bent. They signed Marcus Bent. They signed Darren Ambrose. Uh, they signed Chris Powell on a free. Jay Boothroyd on a free. Thomas Meyer on a free. Gonzalo Sorondo on a free. And Rurik Gislason, uh, a young Icelandic midfielder who I don't remember at all. Um, Birmingham signed Mikel Forsell, Mady Nafti, Jermaine Pennant, DJ Campbell, Martin Lacta, and Chris Sutton on a free from Celtic. They also brought in Nicky Butt on loan. Um, obviously his time at Newcastle hadn't gone as well as he had hoped. They signed uh, Yuri Yarasek on loan from Chelsea as well. Uh, Fulham signed Michael Brown, Hyder Helgeson, Antti Niemi, Nicholas Jensen, Yarosav Drobno, and Drobny, and uh, Simon Elliott. They also signed Tony Warner on a free. He'd been at Liverpool for years as a backup keeper, gone to Cardiff. Was actually a good keeper, but was never quite Premier League caliber. Uh, they also brought in Wayne Bridge on loan from. Chelsea. This is when the whole thing had kicked off with him and um, John Terry. Newcastle signed Michael Owen from Real Madrid, Albert Luque, Scott Parker, Emery, and they re-signed Nalberto Solano for a second stint. They also brought in Lee Clark on a free and Craig Moore on a free. Blackburn signed Craig Bellamy. They signed David Bentley. They signed Florent Cinema Pongold on loan from Liverpool. Uh, Shefki Kuchi, he arrived in on a free. And that is about it. Um, Portsmouth, Benjani, Andrew O'Brien, Sean Davis, Jan Fiafara, Lauren Robert arrived on loan from Newcastle. Brian Prisk, Zvonimir Vukic, don't remember him, 
don't remember Berlin. Gregory Vignal, I remember going there on a free. Sander Westerfeld, I remember going there on a free. Dario Silva, they brought in Wayne Routledge on loan, Salif Jao on loan. They signed Andreas Andreas D'Alessandro, brilliantly talented young Argentine midfielder who'd come through at River Plate, had made a bunch of different moves. He'd ended up at Wolfsburg. I think he went to International. That was afterwards. So River Plate to Wolfsburg, loan at Portsmouth, loan at Saragossa, permanent deal with Saragossa, San Lorenzo. Then he went to International in 2008, had a loan spell back at River Plate in 2016. National in Uruguay in 2021 when he was 40 and then had one game with International in Brazil last season. He was another of the the next Maradona types. That's, you know, that's what they were portraying him as being. He was meant to be the next great thing. There was an academy team at River Plate, which I can only imagine was absolutely jaw-dropping in terms of how good it was. Pablo Weimar, Javier Saviola, and Andreas Iniesta, uh, Andres Iniesta, and Andres D'Alessandro. I would imagine the football they played together was just ridiculous. Anyway, back to what we were doing. Um, West Brom, Curtis Davis, Nathan Ellington, Darren Carter, Diamancy Kamara, Nigel Quasi, Steve Watson, experienced right back in on a free, Chris Kirkland on loan from Liverpool, Jan Kozak, Sunderland signed John Stead, Kelvin Davis, Andy Gray, Daryl Murphy, Kevin Smith on a free, Joe Murphy on a free, and Rory DeLapp on a free. Wigan signed Henri Camera, Paul Sharner, David Connolly, Damian Francis, Mike Pollitt, Ryan Taylor, who would actually go on to have a good Premier League career, Pascal Chimbonda, David Thompson, formerly of Liverpool, Arjun Dazou arrived from Pompey, Joseph Scocco arrived from a club in Turkey, Stefan Ancho came in from Celtic. Neil Mellor arrived on loan from Liverpool, uh, as did Rito Ziegler from Spurs. West Ham signed Dean Ashton. I talked about him yesterday. Yossi Benayoun, Paul Koncheski, Danny Gabidon, James Collins, Clive Clark. Don't remember him. Uh, he's Irish as well, and I don't remember him. Um, Yanif Katten, Shaka Hishlop. Hoping he's doing okay. And Roy Carroll from Manchester United. They also signed Lionel Scaloni on loan. Now, if his name sounds familiar, it's because he's the manager of the Argentine national team who won the World Cup this past December. Uh, He played 13 games on loan from Deportivo La Coruña for West Ham then moved on to Racing Santander. He was 28 at the time, so 
would have been in his prime. Uh, that is all our transfers. So, what does the league table look like? Well, despite not being as dominant as they were the previous season, I would argue that this version of Chelsea were even better than the previous year because of the addition of Michael Essien and other players settling in and finding their feet. Chelsea attained 91 points. They scored 72 goals. They conceded only 22. So they scored the joint most goals, conceded the least goals, had the best goal difference, won 29 games, four draws, but they lost five games this season. And that will have been disappointing to, well, to Mourinho in particular, but to them, because of how good they were, they were exceptionally dominant at these times. They were eight points clear of United by the end of the season. United finished one point ahead of Liverpool and then a 15-point gap to Arsenal. Once Vieira left, Arsenal just fell off. They fell off massively. Then it was Spurs, Blackburn in sixth, Newcastle seventh, Bolton in eighth, West Ham in ninth, Wigan in tenth. So incredible outcomes for West Ham and Wigan back into the top flight, top half finishes, especially Wigan. Everton 11th, Fulham 12th, Charlton 13th, Middlesbrough 14th, Manchester City 15th, Villa 16th, Pompey 17th. Very nearly back-to-back relegations for Harry Redknapp. Um, Birmingham went down, West Brom went down, and Sunderland went down. Sunderland attained 15 points, which was a record low for a Premier League team at this point. Three wins all season, six draws, scored 26 goals, conceded 69 goals. Uh, Unsurprisingly, they scored the least goals and conceded the most goals. But even that, 69 goals conceded was horrendous at the time. Now, you wouldn't be surprised by a team conceding 69 goals. I'd be fairly certain if we look at last season's Premier League. Uh, Premier League table from last season. Uh, Southampton 73. Leeds 78. Bournemouth stayed up conceding 71. You had Forrest and Leicester both conceding 68. Season before... 84, 77, and 79. So again, you had three much worse and a couple around the same. The season before, uh, you had one team conceding 67, but nobody else uh, getting past that 69 number. Um, You had a 75 in 1920. In 1819, with a 76, an 81, and a 70. And the 70 was, again, Bournemouth, who stayed up. Um, you've got to go back to 1718 to find the last season where a team conceded, where, where no team conceded as many or more as that Sunderland team. In 1617, Sunderland, again, 69 conceded. Uh, Hull 80 conceded. 80. That was a defence that had Harry Maguire and Andy Robertson. 
Uh, Swansea stayed up, conceding 70. 15-16, we've got a 76. And 14-15, we've got a 73. So one season out of the last nine. But at, at that time, that was embarrassing that they conceded that many goals. Your top goal scorer in the league, Thierry Henry. The team fell off, but he did not. 27 goals. Ruud van Nistelrooy, 21. Darren Bent, 18. Robbie Keane, 16. Frank Lampard, 16. And Wayne Rooney, 16. Marlon Harewood's, Harewood rather, scored 14 for West Ham. Craig Bellamy and Yakubu got 13 each. And Henri Camera and Didier Drogba got 12 each. Um, Liverpool finished third with nobody scoring more than 11 Premier League goals. It's a fair effort. Most assists, Didier Drogba with 11. Jose Antonio Reyes had 10. Bo Morte and Rooney had 9. Henri, Lampard, Milner, Murphy, Danny Murphy that is, Enzogbia and Park Ji-sung all had 8. Your monthly awards then. Manager of the year, manager of the month rather, uh, Stuart Pierce in August, Paul Jewell, September and October, Rafa Benitez, November and December, David Moyes, January, Alan Pardew, February, Alex Ferguson, March, and Harry Redknapp in April. Your manager of the season was Jose Mourinho, despite not winning any manager of the month awards. Uh, player of the month, August, Darren Bent. September, Danny Murphy. October, Frank Lampard. November, Robin Van Persie. December, Wayne Rooney. January, Anton Ferguson. February, Kevin Nolan. March, Wayne Rooney. And April, Stephen Gerrard. Your PFA Player of the Year, the shortlist, Henri, Rooney, Gerrard, Cole, Lampard and Terry. And Steven Gerrard was voted as the winner. He, the fans player of the year, was won by Wayne Rooney. The football writers player of the year was won by Thierry Henry for the third time. The Premier League player of the year was Thierry Henry. In truth, he should have swept the board. He also obviously won the Golden Boot. Um, your young player of the year, the shortlist was Darren Bent, Sesk, Anton Fergus, Anton Ferdinand, Wayne Rooney, Aaron Lennon, and Cristiano. And Wayne Rooney was a deserving winner. Charlton won the Fair Play League. Uh, Arsenal finished second. Blackburn, once again, the least sporting team. Uh, Pepe Reina won the Golden Gloves. Liverpool kept 20 clean sheets in the league that year. Your PFA team of the season. Shea given in goal, despite the fact that Pepe Reina kept 20 clean sheets. Um, Pascal Chimbonda was in the PFA team of the year. Jamie Carragher, John Terry and William Gallas. Gerard Lampard, Joe Cole and Cristiano in the midfield. Henri and Rooney up front. So it's worth having a look at this Chelsea team. Because, again, they were exceptionally dominant. 
the one incoming that really worked was SEN. He was fantastic from the jump. Needed no time to settle in, just immediately brilliant. So Petr Cech was there, starting goal, goalkeeper, played 34 of 38 Premier League games. In defence, William Gallas rotated between the three positions he'd played the previous year. Ricardo Carvalho started next to John Terry in the middle. Paolo Ferreira was the nominal starting right back, but did often miss out. Sometimes Glenn Johnson would play. Sometimes it would be Gallas at right back. Uh, Asia Del Horno played quite a lot of his football at left back, 25 uh, appearances in the league that year. Uh, in midfield, you had Lampard, you had McAuley, and you had Essien. And that midfield was just phenomenal. Up front, they had a weird situation where they were trying to reintroduce Hernan Crespo. Didn't really work all that well with him and Drogba, but Damien Duff was still a viable option on the wing. Obviously, Aryan Robin on the other wing. Wright Phillips in a rotation role didn't really seem to suit him. Either Good Johnson played a fair amount as well. Um, and Carlton Cole made some appearances off the bench. Robert Hoot also made 13 Premier League appearances at centre-back, six as a sub. Uh, am I missing anybody in midfield? Joe Cole, sorry, Joe Cole played a lot. Joe Cole played 34 games, 26 starts that season, largely playing in the front three, mostly due to injuries, it must be said. Um, yeah, again, they were just sensational. They lost five games, but the last two, the title was wrapped up. They didn't need to win the games, so they just didn't really care. Um even the defeats to Middlesbrough and Fulham weren't in any way damaging to them because they already had such a lead at the top. They ran through the first half of the season. In fact, the first 22 games, they won 20 of them. They won their first nine in a row. Then they drew with Everton. They beat Blackburn. They lost Manchester United away, which there's no shame in. Then they rattled off 11 wins in a row. Drew two against Charlton and Villa, then beat Liverpool, then got beaten 3-0 away by Middlesbrough in their only defeat of the year where they conceded more than one goal. And in fact, if we go through the season, it's the only game in the entire season where they concede more than one goal. It's the only game where they conceded more than one goal. Villa got one, Liverpool got one in a 4-1 shellacking at Anfield, no less. Bolton got one, Everton got one. Sorry, I'm an idiot. Blackburn got two in a 4-2 defeat. Chelsea won the game 4-2, Blackburn got two. Do they do it elsewhere? And Fulham. I, I am an idiot. Fulham scored two as well. Chelsea won the game 3-2. So, sorry, they conceded more than one three times, which is still a ridiculous achievement. 
Because the only defeat, the only drop point they had that season where they conceded more than one goal. In the Champions League, they finished second in their group behind Liverpool. Um, the two sides played out two very dull nil-nil draws. They beat Anderlecht, beat Betis, lost to Betis away and then beat Anderlecht away. They got knocked out by Barcelona in the round of 16. Um, I believe that is the game where Drogba had the meltdown. The uh, the It's a Disgrace game. I believe that's that one. The 2-1 defeat at home. In the League Cup, they went out in the third round to Charlton on penalties. And in the FA Cup, they lost 2-1 in the semi-final against Liverpool. So Liverpool, to be fair, did all right against them that year, but did lose both league games, which is what really matters at the end of the day. Um, In the Football League Cup that year, Manchester United beat Wigan 4-0 in the final. Wayne Rooney got two. Luis Saha scored and Cristiano scored. Um, Edwin van der Sar, Gary Neville, Wes Brown, Rio Ferdinand, Mikel Silvestre, Cristiano Ronaldo, John O'Shea, Ryan Giggs, Park Ji Song, Wayne Rooney and Luis Saha was United's team. They had Howard, Evra, Vidic, Kieran Richardson and Ruud van Nistelrooy on the bench. Evra, Vidic and Richardson came on for Brown, Sylvester and Cristiano. Uh, Wigan's team was Mike Pollock in goal, Pascal Chimbonda, Aryan Dezou, Stefan Ancho and Leighton Baines, who obviously would become best known for his time at Everton as a back four. Jimmy Bullard, Graham C- Bullard, Graham Kavanagh, Paul Scharner and Gary Teal in midfield, Henri Camera and Jason Roberts up front. They had to change goalkeeper after 14, minute, uh, 14 minutes. John Filan coming on for Mike Pollock. Matt Jackson and Andreas Johansson were unused subs. Rito Ziegler and Lee McCulloch came on for Ancho and Kavanagh. In the FA Cup, pretty epic final. Liverpool 3, West Ham 3. Game would end up going to penalties. West Ham went 1-0 up through a Jamie Carragher own goal. West Ham went 2-0 up through Dean Ashton after Pepe Reina fumbled what should have been an easy save. Liverpool fought back. Gibral Cisse scored on 32 minutes, a good volley after an incredible ball by Gerrard. 54 minutes, Gerrard makes it 2-2 with an outstanding goal. 64 minutes, Paul Konchesky crosses the ball, mishits the cross, loops over Reina. And goes in. Maybe this is why Reina didn't get in the team of the year. In the last minute, in stoppage time indeed, a very tired, cramping Steven Gerrard, who can no longer run, is 35 yards from goal. West Ham clear their lines. The ball drops to Gerrard. And what follows is the greatest goal ever scored in an FA Cup final. Ever. It is one in a million. The distance, the accuracy, the power, the time in the game, what was on the line when he hit it, 
it is the greatest goal ever scored in an FA Cup final. Extra time would provide no more goals into the penalty shootout. Didi Haman scores. Sammy Hippie misses. Gerard scores and John Anarisa scores. For West Ham, Zamora misses. Sheringham scores. Koncheski misses. And Ferdinand misses. Uh, Liverpool's team, Reina, Finnan, Carragher, Hippia, Risa, Gerard, Alonso, Sissoko, Kuhl, Crouch, and Cissé. Uh, Jersey Dudek on the bench. Jan Kronkamp came off the bench to replace Xabi Alonso in a very strange substitution. Uh, Jimmy Traore was unused. Didi Haman came on for Peter Crouch. And which was just such a strange, strange, strange decision. Liverpool were losing the game 3-2 and Benitez brought on a defensive midfielder for one of his strikers. Um, Morientes had come on for Kuhl earlier in the game. Um, West Ham's team, Shaka Hishlop, Scaloni at right back, Anton Ferdinand, Danny Gabidon in the middle. Paul Koncheski at left back, Benny Yoon, Rio Coker, Fletcher, and Edrington across the middle, Harewood and Ashton up front. Um, Jimmy Walker, unused sub, James Collins, unused sub, Christian Daly came on for Carl Fletcher, Bobby Zamora came on for Dean Ashton, and Teddy Sheringham came on for Matthew Edrington. That season is memorable mostly just for Chelsea, to be totally honest, but also because it marked the beginning of the end for Arsenal. Um, They haven't had a serious title challenge since winning the the title unbeaten in 03-04. But in 04-05, they were still a very good team. This year, they were just decent. They were disappointing. You expected more from them. They started to transition into playing a prettier brand of football that I think people think was always the Wenger way, but it wasn't. Like, they always played attractive football under Wenger, but they had steel, they had fight. I said it before, what was so special about their team and the United team was that they could outplay you, but they could also outfight you. Now, Mourinho's Chelsea had a lot of that as well. They could just steamroll you. But if you wanted a scrap, they were well up for a scrap. Um, yeah, all things considered, I, I, again, it's a good season. It's not a vintage season by any stretch. But that Chelsea team were really, really special. Really, really special. And Manchester United made two immensely important signings in the middle of the season and one immensely important signing before this season that as we go through the next few years will prove to be absolutely vital for them. So that's it. That is the 05-06 Premier League season. We'll take a break when we come back. News and gossip. See you in a sec. Right. Welcome back. So uh, Women's World Cup games are ongoing. Uh, Japan beat Costa Rica earlier. Spain beat Zambia 5-0. Ireland are currently losing 2-1 to the Canadians. 
Katie McCabe put them 1-0 up. A Connolly own goal just before half time, and Leon with the with an early second half goal. But Ireland apparently coming back into it, starting to play some good football. Hopefully we can just nab a point. If we can nab a point, you'd be happy. You'd be happy enough. But look, incredibly proud that those girls are over there. First time Ireland have been at the Women's World Cup. Uh, moving on. Liverpool have announced that their Anfield Road, Anfield Road stand expansion will not be ready in time for the start of the new season, uh, in a surprise to nobody. Joe Lewis, who owns ENIC, who own the who are the parent company of the company which owns Tottenham, um, has been indicted for insider trading. A brazen insider trading scheme. He's been accused of tipping off friends, associates and employees with non-public information about companies he had business links to. This allowed them to profit from buying or selling related stocks, the indictment alleges. Uh, A lawyer for Mr. Lewis said charging him was an egregious error in judgment. Uh, and he said that the charges would be defended vigorously in court. He added that the 86-year-old had come to the US to defend himself against these ill-conceived charges. He usually resides in the Bahamas. Spurs have said this is a legal matter unconnected with the club, and as such, we have no comment. So there you go. Declan Rice says he wants to be judged on trophies won with Arsenal. That's absolutely fine, and that's absolutely what we'll do. But you'll also be judged on your performances and whether or not you live up to that £105 million price tag. And uh, League Cups and FA Cups won't cut it, buddy. Titles and Champions Leagues only. Burnley are closing in on a deal for Hoffenheim winger Jakob Brunn-Larsen. Jakob Brunn-Larsen on loan, season-long loan. Uh, He was at Borussia Dortmund for a while. He's a decent player. Fulham have confirmed the signing of Raul Jimenez from Wolves for a fee of about five million. He was really good until he had the head injury, and he has never been anywhere close to the same player since. I hope he's not Fulham's planned replacement for Mitrovic. He he can't be. He cannot be a starter for you. It's as simple as that. Uh, on to the gossip then. Bayern Munich are increasingly confident of signing Harry Kane this summer. Bayern Chief Executive Jan Christian Driesen and Technical Director Marco Nepe have stayed in Japan. No, sorry. Have stayed behind in Germany rather than travelling to Japan to try and arrange this transfer. PSG are anticipating player plus cash offers from European clubs with Chelsea, Manchester United, Tottenham, Inter Milan and Barcelona interested. This is very funny. Uh, Brentford's Spanish goalkeeper David Rea has been lined up by Bayern Munich. I, he, I just no. Uara Red Diamonds and Japan goalkeeper Zion Suzuki has turned down a move to Manchester United. He's meant to be very talented. I've never seen him. Uh, Chelsea are close to agreeing terms with Mohamed Kudus. Manchester City have told Bernardo Silva that they, they do not intend to sell him this summer despite him being keen to move. West Ham have held initial talks at Manchester United about Harry Maguire and Scott McTominay. 
David Moyes is going to make an absolute mess of this summer. They're going to sign Maguire, McTominay, Conor Gallagher, and James Ward-Prowse, and they are going to be absolutely awful. Um, Crystal Palace are interested in Leeds winger Crescentio Somerville and Augsburg's midfielder Ruben Vargas. Southampton have had a bid thought, sorry, Southampton have rejected a bid thought to be about 35 million plus add-ons for Romeo Lavia. Liverpool expect to go back in another bid today. That deal should get done. Joshua Kimmich looks set to stay at Bayern Munich after he said he was very sure he'd be playing for the Bundesliga club this summer. Fabinho's move to Al Ittihad is at risk. I think that one gets done in the next couple of days as well. Leeds want to add Carl Darlow to the ranks. Meh. Arsenal are close to signing Gremio's 23-year-old Brazilian midfielder, Botello. I have no idea who that is. Mar- Mali striker El Belil Toure has decided to join Atalanta and Everton are in talks to bring in Wilfred Nanto. But again, this is our good friend and spoofer, Peter Rourke, who couldn't lie straight in the bed. Right, folks, that's it. That's all I have today. Thank you, as always. I will see you tomorrow. I won't be here Friday. I won't be here Monday. Tuesday will depend, but hopefully I'm here Tuesday and we're back to normal. But, yeah, can't be here Friday or Monday. So um, take care of yourselves. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.